Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. And they came over, that is Jesus and his disciples, and they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains." because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. They began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Amen. May God bless to us this reading uh, from his word. In Mark chapter 1, we were introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ by Mark. And Mark tells us there that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This Mark, who writes of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is probably the same as John Mark, the evangelist and helper to the apostles Paul and Peter. And in the early chapters of his 
uh, his book, his gospel, Mark shows that Jesus of Nazareth was the promised Messiah, the one who was appointed by God to fulfill God's covenant purpose and anointed by God to accomplish his promise to deliver his people from their sins. And of course, this is all connected with these earlier portions of Scripture where the patriarchs received promises from God and the Old Testament saints looked forward in faith to the coming of that one who was promised, who would deliver believers, who would deliver the covenant people of God from their sins and into his presence. And so we are finding that continuity between the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, even in these early chapters of the, uh, the book of Mark. But even before Mark turns, as it were, to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has already given us a threefold witness to the true identity of Jesus of Nazareth. It is said that a threefold cord is not easily broken, and in the mouth of two or three witnesses uh, should the truth be known. And here is the truth being revealed to us that will not be readily broken. Mark gives us this threefold witness. First of all, he applied the Old Testament prophecies to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes back to Malachi and he shows how that Malachi anticipated the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Then he drew on that contemporary ministry of John the Baptist who was well known and even at the time of uh, um, uh, Mark's writing, though John had been dead by then many years, um, uh, it seems that uh, there was still a, a great uh, appreciation and affection for John and his ministry. And, and Mark draws upon that testimony and the fact that John the Baptist could say of this one, Jesus of Nazareth, I indeed have baptised you with water, but he shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost. And so Mark calls these signposts, these witnesses, in, in order to prove the identity of Christ. And thirdly, he gives us the testimony of God himself. God, Jehovah, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, bearing witness at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the voice from heaven and the dove that descends, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Mark is showing us emphatically who this person is of whom he writes and of whom he speaks. And then he references the Lord's own ministry. So this is the, this is the summary, as it were, of these early chapters of Mark. He references the Lord's own ministry and he tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ came preaching the kingdom of God. And this phrase, this phrase describes Christ's rule over 
his kingdom, a called out and a gathered in people. That's actually a very interesting little phrase. A called out, called out of the world, but called in and gathered in to this kingdom of which all the called out and gathered in are citizens with Christ as their king. Paul calls that same group of people the election of grace. And elsewhere he calls them the body of Christ, being the spiritual church and people of God. So here we see a called out people, and this is the people that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to address. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Messiah, he is the one appointed by God to save his people from their sins. And so Mark tells us this is the gospel and it is an exclusive gospel because it is the Lord Jesus Christ, it is this Jesus of Nazareth. In, 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 he is the one in whom all history finds its focus. He is the one whom the Old Testament anticipated and the one who is now being revealed as God's way of life, God's way of salvation. And the message of Mark is the same message today. If a man or a woman is to be saved, if a man or a woman is to find peace with God and forgiveness of their sins, it is only by grace, through faith, in Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why Peter could say in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, speaking to the Jews, speaking to the most blessed race upon the face of the earth, the most religious, the most religiously informed, the most richly precise nation upon the face of the earth. Peter could say to them, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. And that tells us the importance of Mark's message. And indeed it gives us, surely uh, it reinvigorates our, our uh, uh, awareness of the need of hearing this message today and understanding its significance. Let us, let us, Never become blinded to the message of these gospel narratives. Let us not become distracted, as it were, uh, unable to, to, to see the wood for the trees. Because we read these stories and we think about the characters and the individuals and, and the circumstances. But we need to understand the message that these truths are leading us to. Until a man or a woman or a boy or a girl is brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. There is no everlasting life. 
and we teach the children the Bible, and so we should. And we share together in Bible lessons, and we should. And we uh, learn the scriptures and the narratives and the verses. But all of these things are pointing us to Christ. And never let us become so preoccupied in the detail that we fail to find the person of whom these details speak. Next, Mark draws our attention to the actual words and works of this Jesus of Nazareth in evidence as to the true identity of the one that he is presenting to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews amongst whom Jesus ministered were amazed at his doctrine. We're told in, in, in these early verses of Mark, for he taught as one with authority. And they were astounded at his works because they were miraculous. Lepers were cured of their leprosy. Demons were cast out of the possessed. The sick were healed. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came into Galilee, when he came into Judea, in Jerusalem, he caused no small stir. But then came a backlash. Though the Lord thrilled and amazed many by the words that he spoke and by the works that he performed, it soon became clear that he was not preaching the same message as the Jews. He was not preaching acceptance with God by obedience to the law of Moses. In fact, he spoke about a different righteousness entirely. He spoke about a holiness that was given not earned. He spoke about justification, not of works, but by the free gift of God. And secondly, he spoke about that holiness being his own to give to whomsoever he would. So that we find in the second chapter of Mark, already in the second chapter of Mark, verse 7, the Jews are saying, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now, you can do the math, because what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing here is he is already setting himself on a collision course with the Jews. In Mark chapter 3 verse 6. Again so early in this little gospel of Mark. Mark is telling us. And the Pharisees went forth. And straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him. How they might destroy him. You see that? The Lord Jesus Christ is astounding people with his doctrine, amazing people with his works. And what is their reaction? They want to destroy him. Now, I should mention that this was not unknown to the Lord. Indeed, he told them 
that the days shall come when the bridegroom, that's he himself, shall be taken away from them. Now, he didn't say that he would leave them, but that he would be taken away. And that speaks about the forcibility or the forcefulness of the way in which he was uh, taken from them. The Lord knew that the days of his personal ministry were numbered. His purpose in coming required that his days be numbered because he came to lay down his life for the sheep. He came requiring to sacrifice his own life for the lives of others. He knew that. This was why he could forgive sins, because he would die in the place of sinners. The Jews didn't understand it, and to a certain extent, nobody understood it at that time in the fullness that they would understand it in time to come. And that's the point that we are receiving here from Mark. The Lord did something else as well. He formed a little group. He gathered a small band of followers to whom he taught the gospel of the kingdom of God. He taught them the significance of what he was doing upon the cross. These he began to equip and continued to equip during the three years of his ministry up until his death so that they might be able to carry forward his gospel message. These were just ordinary men who would nonetheless, because of what Jesus taught them, turn the world upside down. So by the time the first three chapters of Mark is complete, we have a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ dedicating himself to the training of these disciples whom he had chosen and called to be the distributors or the disseminators of gospel truth. The seed of the word as it is referred to in the parables that the Lord preached. So that the parables of chapter 4 are primarily the disciples' lessons. They are prepared for the different reactions of people to the word that they would be preaching. Some, they were told, wouldn't care about what it was that you were saying. And we see that today, even yet. It was true at the time of the disciples, it was true in the time of the apostles, and it is true yet today. There are some who just don't care. Some would get excited. Oh, there's plenty of religion in the world. There's plenty of people that are enthusiastic about the, 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 the religious activities that, that are part and parcel of our social structures today. But they have no spiritual reality, no depth to their understanding, and they simply fade away. But the disciples were taught some would endure, and it was these 
that the disciples were being sent uh, to uh, sow good seed to. They were to preach the whole gospel of a free justification and God's saving purpose by grace. That was to be their message. They, they didn't go and start teaching parables. They didn't go and start uh, 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 preaching uh, uh, about the uh, uh, circumstances of, of the uh, Old Testament uh, narratives and stories. They preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because they understood, they saw from what the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching them that all of these lessons were directed to the reality, the one who stands behind them all, Jesus Christ the Saviour. So they were to preach God's purpose of salvation through the shed blood of the substitute, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. They would be seed sowers and God would be the seed grower. They would preach, God would increase. And that's the kingdom gospel. It was that kingdom gospel that they preached. That God was gathering in through the preaching of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The people that had been chosen before time loved everlastingly and whose sins had been forgiven by the shed blood and substitution of Jesus Christ. That seed, these people would be nourished from above. They would grow, they would develop, and there would be in the uh, 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 kingdom of God a shadow under which sinners would be safe. In chapter 4, the Lord showed his divine power by delivering the lives of the disciples and calming the waves and the winds of a mighty storm. And uh, towards the end of chapter 4, he demonstrated his dominion over the natural power and all of nature's phenomena. But again, it was more than that. Let us not simply be distracted by the event by the miracle. It was personal to these disciples. And this is what I mean. The Lord Jesus Christ is teaching these men personally. He is leading them step by step through a process of preparation for the ministry they will be called to perform. Someday, someday, Peter would be able to kneel beside the cold corpse of a dead lady and say, Tabitha, arise. Because he knew what it was to be saved from death personally. He would be able to place an arm on a man's shoulder and say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is able to save to the uttermost because he saved me. And in chapter 5, the, the passage that we've read together uh, today, the Lord Jesus Christ is again demonstrating that power. This Jesus of Nazareth is being shown to us as the one who has power over principalities and the powers of hell. The very demons of hell 
trembled at the presence of Jesus of Nazareth. It goes on in chapter 5, we didn't read it, to speak about the Lord curing a woman's long-term sickness, an issue of blood that she'd had for 12 years. She in faith, merely touching the hem of his garment. And then he raises to life a a, a little girl, the daughter of one of the Jewish leaders in the presence of Peter and James and, and John. And there's many lessons in all of these pictures that Mark so carefully sets out and and links together and, and presents to us. But I'm stressing to you this point. These were examples and confirmations. These miracles were examples and confirmations given to the disciples, given to the church, the kingdom of God, given to you and me in order to show us who Christ is and what his power is. Just as the parables were lessons to teach spiritual hearers about the kingdom of God, and the same parables perplexed the spiritually deaf, so miracles enlightened the spiritually wise, but dazzled the spiritually blind. There was a spectacle and then there was the meaning behind the spectacle. So I want you to realise what I'm saying here because this is important. When we see a miracle of the Lord, we don't simply say, wow, that's amazing. Or alternatively, as indeed many do, Prayed it before the world as if to say, beat that or believe. The miracles are spiritual lessons just as much as the parables. We look at them to see what the Lord is teaching, not simply what he's doing. They are telling us about the kingdom of God as well. If parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings, miracles are earthly object lessons with heavenly meanings. And seen thus, they speak powerfully of the doctrines of grace and mercy and peace that Jesus Christ came to preach and that Jesus Christ came to fulfil by his death. Now, We're going to spend more time next week, God willing, considering the miracle of this poor soul saved from demon possession. But just let me say a a, a few things, a, a number of things briefly, quickly, by way of, I trust, some comfort to your heart from this story about the the, um, Gadarene demoniac. First one is this, the Lord Jesus Christ knew this man's need. This man needed help. Here is a man literally at the end of his tether. He has been possessed by powers stronger than himself. He has no knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
but the Lord knows him. Oh, the sovereign mercy that brings the Lord Jesus Christ to poor sinners. Do you realise that that is what the gospel is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ being brought to poor sinners. That is not to say that everyone who hears the gospel is going to be saved. That's the point about the sower and the seed. The disciples, the church, preachers, you and I have been taught that the gospel is going to be rejected by many, misunderstood by most perhaps. But for those that are the Lord's, this is the Lord Jesus Christ coming to gather his people. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, let's pass over to the other side of the lake. Why? Why? Why, Why, Lord? Because there's a man there in the gathering tombs that I need to see. If you are ever delivered from your sin, it won't be because you went looking for the Lord. It will be because he came looking for you. It's a sermon for another day, but this is the lost sheep. And this is the lost coin. And this is the lost son that is found. People think that they find the Lord. Oh, I found the Lord when I was a little boy. I found the Lord when I was at university. I found the Lord. Nobody finds the Lord. The Lord finds his people. Grace has nothing to do with either the will or the ways of man. It is all to do with the Lord Jesus Christ doing the will of his Father and gathering his people into the kingdom of God. And here's a second lesson from this man's life for today. Jesus went to get him because he was a chosen child of God. This is one of the earliest Gentile converts in the New Testament. I assume he was a Gentile living where he did. The Gadarene was one of those whom God had chosen in eternity and for whom the Lord Jesus Christ would die in time. Here was a man that God had chosen. I don't know whether he chose his family. I don't know whether he chose anyone else from his town. I don't know whether he chose anyone else from the, the, the whole community there. But he chose this man. This man who was possessed of demons. This man who cut himself and cried in the tombs. This man who was an outcast. This man who could break chains and was wild in his mind and wild in his heart was a chosen vessel of grace. And the Lord Jesus Christ went to get him. In order that God's outpourings of grace be experienced in the vessels of mercy, the Saviour himself travelled to meet this poor creature and to deliver him from the bondage of sin and from the hand and grip of Satan. A gathering demoniac who was to be the very next citizen of the kingdom of God upon earth. I wonder who 
today, on the 29th of August 2021, I wonder who will be the next citizen of the kingdom of God to be brought into the family of grace. Here's a third point. Christ supplied this man's need. The Holy Spirit has given Mark a dreadful and a dismal description of this man's state. We read it together, we'll read it again. But look beyond the dwelling place where this man lived, the tombs. Look beyond the chains and the ropes. Look beyond the untamable spirit, the crying and the cutting and the possession itself by these demons. These all speak of the bondage of sin. Dead sinners dwell among dead sinners. There is no life until Christ brings it. They're chained by laws that they break and yet which bind them ever more grievously. Their natural minds are wild against God. They are wayward. They are willful to do what they please. And by every step that they take, they are self-harming. By every cut that they make, they are bringing themselves down to their own death. They're slaves to their father, the devil. They're already condemned and they're awaiting sentence. This demoniac could do nothing to free himself, nothing to help himself. Nothing but to return to the same destructive cycle day after day until one day the deadness of his soul took him to his own grave in a lost eternity. And that's the state of every man and woman outside of Christ. Maybe it's even your state today. Let's not sugarcoat it. There are millions heading for a lost eternity. Millions who need help. Millions who need to hear the gospel. You are being privileged to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ today. What does it mean to you? Jesus of Nazareth came for this one. And here's the fourth and final point today. Jesus helped him. Jesus made the difference. He gave him grace. He gave him liberty. He gave him peace. Now we're going to return to to, to this later. But the Lord Jesus Christ rid him of his demons. He stilled his agitation. He covered his nakedness. He restored his mind. What a picture that is of a sinner saved by grace. Of a heart rid of its previous occupants so that Christ may enter in and dwell there. It's a peace that passes understanding. A peace of mind, a peace of conscience, a a peace with God. It's a righteousness bestowed, a righteousness given that that purifies, that justifies, that sanctifies, that holifies. That's free. 
It was neither sought nor bought nor worked for by this possessed man. But such a one is accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ, cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and made perfect in the sight of God by the very righteousness of God and Jesus Christ himself. If you've still got plans to help yourself, if you've still got notions that you're going to get yourself sorted out and, 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 and make peace with God, forget it. You're still working your way to heaven and you still know nothing of grace. You are self-harming to your eternal damnation. But if you see yourself as a lost, poor, helpless sinner who desperately needs a saviour, then I pray that the Lord will find you and use his gospel to bring you to a knowledge of the truth, which is a knowledge of Christ. May it be so. Amen.